So this morning I had uh, several different things that I was contemplating and uh, on studying, and so I was I'm gonna see if I can combine everything. So uh, that's that's what we're gonna try to work on this morning. And uh, whenever I say combine everything, um, you know, from a national or religious point of view. Uh, today is Easter. Well, today is, is the day that our Lord and Savior did uh, come from the grave. And, and uh, in the New Testament, we don't ever see anywhere where that's a special day. We, you know, obviously as Christians, uh, that is something that's special. And so I was trying to figure out how to weave in, how do I work on that a little bit, but I also had something else I wanted to talk to the congregation on. And that other part was very important, and then something kind of came up uh, last week that I heard a lesson on, and I said, well, that's kind of a, a good segue in. So, we're going to start off, um, this is really about 1 Corinthians, it's really about our class that we're going to start studying uh, Wednesday night. And so we're going to hit the fifth chapter Wednesday night. The fifth chapter brings something to us. That is very different in the world today from a religious point of view. And the fifth chapter is going to talk about discipline in the First Corinthian um, area and um, era and how we're supposed to apply that today. And you might be wondering, well, how does this get to resurrection and how does this get to death burial? But it does. It's actually very key in which we're going to go to First Corinthians. But I first want to ask you, have you ever seen concrete get cut with water dripping on it? And I see some people shaking their heads. Yes, I've seen concrete. And if you work in a facility that's 70 years old, you will find many places where concrete has been cut uh, over time with water. How does all this work? Where are you going, Clay? The point I'm trying to make is there's times that we are moved as people, just like concrete is cut. We think of it as a rock. We think it is very hard. We can stomp on it. You and I can take our shoes. We can't, you know, we can't move it. But a little bit of water over long periods of time, we can cut that concrete in half. So I bring us back to peer pressure. We all recognize peer pressure. We are very keen about our children, especially in their very formidable years and their teenage years. We are very watchful about who our teenagers are around. And the reason we are is because we understand peer pressure is something that can move people and it can move our children especially, but it can also move us adults. So as we look at 1 Corinthians, we see divisions among favorite preachers. We see divisions among fornicators. In other words, accepting of sin, fornication. We see brothers taking brother to court and embarrassing the church. We have questions of divorce. In chapter 7, we have people, and I'm not even going, we have 
people that are using their liberties and destroying other people's faith uh, in certain chapters. In chapter 11, as Daniel read there, we have people partaking of the Lord's Supper and not doing it in the correct manner and not considering other people. And in chapter 15, we have the discussion of the resurrection. And this is how we're going to tie this together. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. This is a passage, if I've heard this passage quoted a uh, hundred times, it's probably a thousand times in my life as a Christian. And I believe this passage. I think this passage is very pertinent. It doesn't, so in this passage is used around the resurrection. The resurrection is being discussed but he says, bad company corrupts good morals. Verse 34, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So he, he sits here and he's telling, bad company is going to corrupt you. This is peer pressure. We call it peer pressure. Today. This is a key verse, but the whole point I'm trying to make here is, is why is he making this comment? Why is he telling the Corinthian brethren all of a sudden he stops in the middle of a thought about the resurrection, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and he comes up with this passage, is Paul randomly thinking here? No, I don't think he is. I think he's very appropriate. And the point is, is that we all can see if we have error among us and we have someone teaching. Now, I'm not talking about the new convert that, that, that's trying to learn and, and sees the passage. I'm not talking about someone like that. But as we go through 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to see that there was, a, um, there was teaching going on. And Paul is addressing that teaching. And I think that's key for us to understand as Christians. And why am I preaching this? Why are we talking about this? Because Wednesday night, we're going to start. We're probably going to slow down real slow in chapter 5. Real slow. Because we're going to go hit some other passages. I'm usually very huge about we're going to stay in that book and we're going to talk about that. But it's in, because this is one of the things that New Testament churches is supposed to do, is what's in 1 Corinthians 5. But we have it being addressed here again in 1 Corinthians 15. And it's around the resurrection. And we need to understand as Christians, this affects us. Because many of us, our Christian walk, might be over 50 years. Some of it might be 20 years. Some of it might be 10 years. Some people might only have one year of a Christian walk. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whenever we obey the gospel. The point is, is once we obey and we start living that Christian life, we're saved. If we live that Christian life. But whenever you take a look that over time, 
Christianity, the reason we have all these letters after the Gospels is because their walk started to skew. And that's what we're going to see here today. The other thing I want to point out to you, we use verse 33, and I, I do not have a problem with this, because, which I think we can go to other passages in the New Testament, as well definitely in the Old Testament, where we, we see, uh, we use this passage for people outside. Who do we hang around outside? And for us parents, we're very guarded. We're very guarded about who hangs around our children. Sandra and I are still doing that today. We keep up with who are our children hanging around. What are they doing? I say we. She does. She, she tells me that we talk about it. She keeps up with it. So I think the application is fine in the world. But verse 12 in chapter 15, I want you to make sure you understand Verse 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So the context of verse 33 is about people in the church. And in the New Testament church, there were people willing to stand up and say, there is no resurrection. There is no resurrection. And, and so turn to the first part of 15. That's what Paul is going to address in this whole chapter here. Now for us Christians, there is no way, after we read the, these passages here, Minus a new convert, someone who we're trying to work with and who's got a good heart, if you came up to me and said, Clyde, I disagree with you, I don't think there's a resurrection. I'm going to have a big problem with that. Because Paul's going to tell us it's all built on this. Our entire faith is built on this. And Paul is addressing false teachers in the Corinthian church. That's what we're, he's talking about here. And so starting in verse 1, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which, you all, you also, in which also you stand. And everybody knows that I read out of American Standard. The American Standard. So, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you. We are saved... And notice the word, if we hold fast. Unless you believed in vain. And so, what, what is the gospel? What is he preaching? And so in verse 3 and 4, he actually answers that question. For I delivered to you the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We, we just partook of the Lord's Supper. We celebrate that every week. Because of what we see in 1 Corinthians and Acts 20 and 7. We don't have a lot of passages that tell us that. But that's the important thing is Christ died for us. That's what we Christians believe. And in the first century, not all people that was Christians believed that. As Paul is addressing here. 
that Christ died for our sins. And we remember Him every first day of the week. And that He was buried. And then what the rest of this chapter is going to say, is talk about, is that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now the Scriptures that He's quoting here is really Isaiah going back to the Old Testament. Because remember, whenever we're writing 1 Corinthians, we didn't have all these, what we call the Scriptures. We didn't have all the New Testament books combined then. And so whenever he talks about that, he goes back to the Old Testament. So we've got to make sure we reference the Scriptures there is talking about that. So, as Christians, it's important that we understand what we believe. That our leader, the guy that we're going to follow, allowed a bunch of Romans and Jews, you can blame it on whoever you want to, allowed them to put him on a cross, and then he died. And somehow a big rock got rolled back, and on Sunday morning... This time, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2010 years, plus or minus one or two, our Lord and Savior came out of the grave. Now that's what we believe. And if you don't believe that, Paul's going to tell you here, that's not the gospel. And what he's telling us here, too, is people that don't believe that, can corrupt us. And you know what? Have you ever been around someone that you realize your alarm bells went off? But they were such a fun-loving person. You kind of, you like being around them. And ten years later, you find yourself, they have taken me down a path I didn't want to go. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. I'm not beyond this passage. Do not think that I stand before you up here. Now I will tell you, I didn't recognize it. But whenever I did recognize it, I better watch out. And that's what Paul is saying here. That there's some among you that don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. And as Christians, we have to believe that. Now, why should we believe that? Verses 5 through 8, we read of, 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 of Cephas, Peter, and the 12. We read of 500. And some of them already died. Some of those 500, most of them are still alive. So there was, so there was people that the Corinthian brethren could go say, did you see this? Did you see the Messiah after he was buried? And there was, there was witnesses here. James and then the apostles. And then, uh, and then Paul basically says in verse 8, I'm the one that saw him afterwards, in which we know that's on the road to Damascus. Now it's according to how you want to count what he just did. Now there's actually more observations of Jesus than what is recorded in 1 Corinthians. Paul is just kind of making a big wife here. He just, hey, let me throw some evidence at you. So there's 513, 525, however you want to count. I'm not going to, you know, 
uh, I'm not going to sit here. Uh, eyewitnesses that Christ was out of the grave and he was walking on the head. But Paul then makes a defense in verses 9. He basically says, For I am the least apostle and fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, <coughs> I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me, whether then I was, I, or they. So we preach, and so you believe. To me, Paul is one of those powerful witnesses that, that saw Christ not in the 50 days, but saw Christ afterwards and was witness. But he's one that was out persecuting this way of life, and then he changed his mind. I think that's a powerful testimony. Very powerful testimony. And that's what he's arguing here with the Corinthian brethren. Not only did I move, not only am I providing you evidence, but I'm condemning my previous life whenever I'm presenting this evidence. Think about the humility that had to take. So let me take a side note. Sandra gets on to me for taking side notes. I love passages like this. Because as us Christians, as we sin, and as we do things, see me after church, if you've been persecuting the church to the point of putting people to death, this is what we signed up for, is forgiveness from Christ. Paul understood that. He forgave himself. So the side note here is Paul making his argument. You can't do anything that Christ isn't going to forgive you if you humble yourself. Now that's a lot of humility for some of us. But Paul did it. And that's what we need to be understanding. But Paul, Paul humbled himself because once he saw the truth, he understood the truth, he then went after it. And that's what we have to do as Christians. Uh, we already read verse 12 that we know that these people were among them that did not believe in the resurrection. And so verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. So we know the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. We, we saw Christ use the Sadducees and the Pharisees difference one time to kind of set up, you know, one of those great debates and, and things that you like to see is where you conquer people by dividing them. But the Sadducees didn't believe in that. So if we have people that don't believe that Christ was raised, that is a key thing. And if Christ, in verse, verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Now, I highlight this part here about faith. None of, neither you nor I, have been able to talk to one of those 500 people. Nor have you or I 
visibly seeing the crucified Messiah raised. Notice the Corinthian brethren and you and I are all living by faith. Now there might have been one of those 500 worshiping there at Corinth. I don't know. It doesn't tell me. I'm just making that up. I don't have it. There's no biblical. But I'm just saying there might have been an eyewitness there. But it's still at the end of the day if I didn't see it then I have to take it by faith. I have to understand who my witness is. But notice we have to have faith to understand that. How do we gain that faith? We gain our faith by studying passages like this. Can people believe the opposite? Absolutely. Paul is addressing that in Corinth. Do we have people today that don't believe that there's a resurrection? Absolutely. We call them atheists most of the time. Most people that believe in, in the Christian faith typically believe in the resurrection. I'm sure there's a group out there that doesn't. I'm, because here's a group at Corinth. I don't know that. But my point to you is, is it still takes faith. I have to have faith. I cannot prove it. I can prove to you that there's a microphone right here. I can pull that microphone and I can come hit you on the head with it. And I said, what did I hit you with? And you can look. Well, it looks like a microphone. Most of us would say, that's a microphone. You don't have to accept that by faith. So, if our faith doesn't believe in a resurrection, we don't need to be here. We need to save our contribution and we need to go get in our boats and get on the Altamont River today and enjoy it. And, that's, and actually Paul basically tells it. That's what he says later on. We'll read that. But our faith has to have, we have to have faith in that. So in verse 15, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. And so he's making the argument if there's no resurrection, we're against God. If in fact the dead are not raised. And so there was, there's actually two questions here. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ is raised. So he's making the argument here is there's, there's two arguments being made here. One is that there's not a general resurrection, that you and I would not be raised from the grave. That's one argument. And he's saying, well, if that's not true, then Christ didn't get raised. So he's arguing two different things here, uh, best I can tell. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ. So verse 16, first part, he's talking about the general resurrection of you and I. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are all men most uh, to be pitied. We're believing a lot. So we have to have this faith. Um, so if there's one section I really love out of this argument here, it's, it's this next section. Uh, verse 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So Christ is the first one 
He's leading the way to the resurrection. And so this is one of the things I love about scriptures, and I love whenever Paul argues this in other New Testament. They argue and they sometimes go back to the Old Testament. And this is why uh, it's so important that we understand and we study and we, we do not allow ourselves to be tainted by false teachings of the world. Because if we allow Genesis not to be true, then our next statement here is blown out of the water. And so either you, you have to believe it all or you have to start backing up and say, well, if, if Paul got that wrong, well, what else did he get wrong? So in verse 21, he said, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, and also in Christ all will be made alive. Now there's a whole lesson in those two statements there. The point he's trying to make is Adam brought sin into the world. Adam brought death into the world. Christ came and took death away. Now has he taken death away? No. I still see people dying. He hasn't done it. He has taken spiritual death away. But he still has not taken death away because he, have, he hasn't come back. And just as Adam brought it in, Christ took it away. And so we're on this journey. Verse 22 is telling us we're on this journey. Even from Adam to us today, we're on this journey of being reconciled with our Lord and Savior. And that's a beautiful thing. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that, those who are in Christ at his coming. And then comes the end, and when he hands over the kingdom of God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority. For he must reign until he puts he has put all of his enemies under foot under his feet. And that's what we're talking about there. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put, verse 27, he has put all things in subjection under his feet. God has put all things in subjection under his feet. All things are put in subjection. It is evident that he is expected who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subject, subjected, one who has subjected all things to him. Basically what he's saying, there's a lot of subjections there. Once Christ has put death under his feet, he hands it all to God and Christ is still under God. And that's, that's the order that we see in 1 Corinthians 11. God, Christ, man, woman. <coughs> um, verse 29, I'm not going to try to get into uh, discussion of 29 because that's not the point of this lesson. Um, that's a little bit more complex and we'll get into that in our class whenever we get to chapter 15. Um, and so he asks in verse 30, why, why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. And if from human motives I fall wild beast in Ephesus, what does it profit me if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So Paul makes the same conclusion that I just said. If there is no resurrection... Let's use our money and go spend it somewhere else. Not here. 
That's the argument he just made. Why am I doing all this suffering? Why don't I just eat and drink and die? Because that's all there is in the world. Now, I'm not signing up for that. I like this story about Christ dying and being buried three days in a resurrection. Because I've lived long enough in this world, if this is it, this is not very exciting. This is not what I want to sign up for. Now, I'm wanting to sign up for eternity. And I want to sign up for singing praises and seeing a magnificent God. I'm signed up for that. But this is what I have to believe. And so going back, we're back to our passage. And notice we just went through the chapter. And the rest of the chapter actually covers resurrection too. He makes other different points. But my point to you is, in the middle of this argument, bad company corrupts good morals. And as Christians, we all understand this from a worldly point of view because we call it peer pressure. So why do we, why as Christians, do we allow sin to propagate? And that's what we're going to discuss starting Wednesday night. Because Paul, out of 16 chapters, they're not all equally spaced, but let's just, for humor, y'all humor me since I'm mathematical. Out of 16 chapters, he's got to take one whole chapter and address the basis of the Christian faith. Because at Corinth, there were people there that were preaching that there was no resurrection. And Paul stops here in the middle of this and says, why do you let this happen? Don't you understand that this can change your life over many years? Most of us don't change. And I hope you start thinking about where you were 30 years ago in your Christian walk. The typical, just as the brethren here at Corinth, is we digress. That's what we do. We typically digress in everything we do. But we have to have times of renewal. We have to have times of saying, I've got to get this better. I'm going to change. And this is one of those areas that Paul gives us a warning as Christians that even the base foundation, if we allow that to propagate and we don't look at that, that person or persons or that group and say, this is not according to God's scriptures, then in 30 years, if I'm not there, my children might be there. And that is very key that we understand that as Christians. Because the basic, the basic, we're not even arguing sexual immorality. We're not arguing divorce and remarriage here. We're not talking about eating meats. We're talking about the basics of Christianity. 
That's how far off we can get. And if you don't believe we can't get that far off, then maybe you and I can talk. I've seen it in my lifetime. I've had people read scriptures to me and say, I don't believe that. Whether that's baptism or whatever it is. So as we go through, and as today marks the resurrection of Christ, it is something that that we, as Christians, we need to acknowledge. Now, we're not told in our services that we're there's not anything that we, we read in the New Testament where the New Testament church did anything differently. They, we celebrate his death every week. We do that with the Lord's Supper. But the whole point is, don't be surprised whenever we see error because this is what the first century church saw. So a passage that we always use to, and I think it's, I, I do not have a problem with people using that, but I do have a problem with, um, you know, whenever we talk about, you know, evil companions corrupt good morals and that's how we teach our children and I think it's the application there but this is really talking about people among us now let me also make this caveat here so I just preached a lesson that you know we got to be careful about what we learn and what we know and what we allow among us I'm not talking there are some passages y'all notice I skipped verse 29 I didn't skip it I just didn't address it because that's a, that, that's a whole lesson in itself. There are some hard passages. And there's times that we give people liberty to say, this is where I come down, but I can still worship with you. But if you came and says, I don't believe in the resurrection, I'm probably going to spend six months trying to convince you that there's a resurrection. But if you're going to persist in that doctrine... And you're not, and, and you're going to try to teach other people. I'm going to follow what we're going to talk about Wednesday night, and what we're going to start talking about. And that's the reason those passages are there, is because the basics of our belief system can be challenged. Now, in the First Corinthian church, it was in five years that they were they were totally taken away. Uh, I don't think we, we would be that quick. But it doesn't take long. I can assure you that. And uh, if you know church history, uh, you'll see that, that it doesn't take long if we're not continuing to study. So that's the lesson. There is a resurrection. There is death, burial, and resurrection. And people that do not believe what Paul taught and what the Holy Spirit taught the apostles they're called bad company. And we're supposed to do something about that. And we're going to study that more. So let's, let's continue to study. Let's grow our faith. Because it's easy for error to take us away. If there's anybody that needs to obey the gospel, please come as we stand and say.